Welcome to New Hope's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God's presence and encouragement for your life as you listen to this week's message. So summer is here. So let's just have a few fun jokes about summer. If you want to put up the first one here, you know, you got to have fun. This is how we feel in Rochester, right? It's like, quick, it's here. Bring everything out of the basement. Get the grill up. Get it set up before it turns cold, okay? Like, let's take advantage of this. Um, how about, we'll go to the next one here. Many will relate to this. You know, sometimes it takes us a while to wind down when we're on vacation. So this guy says, I'm finally starting to relax. Come look at the pie charts I made in the sand. <laughs> so I can relate to that. It took me into week two to actually, like, step out of regular work mode and the busyness of life and be able to like slow down, relax. I was not drawing pie charts on the beaches in Normandy or anything. We were having a great time, enjoying taking it all in, but I can re- relate to that <laughs> very much. This one I love, if there's any teachers, I know there's teachers here. So, right? Okay. <laughs> Summer, the time of year when parents realize just how grossly underpaid teachers actually are. And now you have the kids home with you all summer, which is a great thing. But let's be honest, the parents are also excited at the end of the summer to see them all go back to school, get back into their routines, right? And we love having them home, actually. But I thought the teachers out here would appreciate this. And probably there's more teachers downstairs right now teaching the kids that we need to get this out to them. So they will enjoy it. So it's good. I love summer. I, f- I firmly believe it's like, man, take it all in, enjoy every night, enjoy every nice, you know, warm night, uh, get together with as many friends as you can, as much as you can throughout the summer, enjoy it. Um, and it's great even to be back here each week, getting encouraged, seeing friends. You know, we need each other in our walk in Christ to encourage one another. Um, I know for two weeks when I came back, I was glad to see you all. So some of you might be surprised by that. But I was, thank you, Mark. And John told me that I'm getting better up here, so I, I hope I don't let you all down. So, <laughs> so that's so funny. I love him. So I'm going to share a little bit today, share uh, from the story of Thomas, okay? Uh, Thomas is only mentioned a few places in the Bible, uh, but there's a major insight in this story, and I think it can have a tremendous impact on us today when we get to hear it and learn from it. So we're going to talk about that, okay? But before I get there, I just want to ask, how many like hiking? Do we have any avid hikers out here? Yeah, we actually have a pretty good amount. I'm actually quite surprised. Joy and I are not avid hikers, okay? I would never claim that. But we like to hike, and we go to a new place, like we want to go out, let's do a hike in this new area we're at or whatever. Uh, I remember a few years ago, we did a a hike up about a mile up to the suspended lake that was like a mile up called Hanging Lake. It's actually in Colorado. Uh, And it was like this pristine environment. All the runoff from the mountains comes down, it forms this lake, and it looks like it's hanging, suspended, like a mile up. It was just beautiful. But getting up there was not easy. Uh, Enjoying the view is great, um, but how many know that along a hike, um, you encounter a lot of different things? I like hiking because it reminds me that life is a journey. And when you're out on a hike, you you realize this again. You're like, man, we are on the path called life. It is a journey. 
You know, there are flat spots where it's like you just coast and cruise and you take it all in. And then there's you, you get up to the ascent, you look out over the summit, you know, you're at the top and it's beautiful. Then you got to go all the way back down, it's not as exciting. Maybe 40 is the point where you start to, 40 years old, you start to go back down. I don't know. Um, but, you know, but that's, life is a journey. It's, that's why I like hiking. It reminds me of that. And here's the thing, we're all walking along this path of life where I believe, I really truly believe, as you get to know people, that most people are trying to do the best they can. And they're trying to enjoy this life, right? People are trying to love God. It's in their heart to serve. Um, you know, each one of us, I really believe, most of us are trying to live up to our God-given potential, right? Everybody has it, most people have it in their heart to do that. We want to influence the world for good. We want to leave it better than the way we found it. Um, I love this scripture by David. He says, you show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Contrary to the world, where it says the focus here is, is about not caring about anything but your own happiness. Like that sometimes is the world's focus. Well, who cares? If it doesn't make you happy, it doesn't matter. Right? Or the focus sometimes is on just creating your own world, totally apart from God. But according to David, he says that he's praying here, God, you show me the path of life. Right? It's not just something that we just don't care about anything anymore and we just live according to ourselves, but he shows us the path of life. Right? He leads us in life. And I believe that he reveals the desires that he's placed in our hearts. Right? He's placed things in our hearts that we need him to reveal and to uncover in our lives. Sometimes it takes us years to uncover. What am I here for? What is my purpose? What are the things, God, that you've put in my heart that, that really turns me on in life or really gets me going? but he, he guides us and we can trust his leading in life. But what happens when we find ourselves stuck in the journey? Anyone ever been in a place or you're in a place, we'll say we'll do both so nobody feels awkward, that you've ever felt stuck in life? Raise your hands, right? Anyone ever felt that? How does God view us when we were in a season where, where we're struggling to believe his promises or the things that have been spoken over us. Anyone ever been in a place where you're struggling to like, believe the promises of God, these things are true, I, I believe them, but I'm not seeing things happen, right? Or you're struggling, you've had words spoken over your life and prophetic words and you're just not seeing them come to pass. How does God look at us when we're going through even a crisis of faith, right? We see these in the Bible. You know, some of the, the ones who had been around Jesus the longest had a crisis of faith. Um, how does God look at us when we go through that time? Uh, I think these are important questions because we're all going to experience it at some point in life. And how we think that God feels about us is going to be the key to us getting through it. You hear how I said that? And how we think God feels about us. You know, how do we think God feels about us? If you think, and sometimes these are so subconscious, if you feel like he's always upset and he's disappointed or he's angry, it changes how we live life. But when we start to know that God is actually a good father, he's the one we see in the prodigal son, the one who ran out to the son, who had sinned and, and took his inheritance early and you know, was really dishonoring to his father. 
So it's important. So we're going to look at John 20 together, okay? If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 20. Chap, uh, chapter 20, verse 19 through 29. And we're going to put it up there in case you did not bring it. I should say if you want to read, open your Bible, your tablet, your iPad, your iMac, whatever you're using these days, your phone. So John 19, 29. So I'm going to read this, okay, and then we'll come back together. So this is, uh, when it was evening, this is after Jesus had, had been crucified, he had risen from the dead. This is right after that time. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and he see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Don't doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. You know, we're part of that. We, we have not seen. We were not there, right? But we've come to believe. These 2,000 years later, we're part of the movement that was started after Jesus died and he went to heaven and he launched something. The gospel started to move out, started to spread all out throughout the earth. We're part of that, even today. It's amazing. So we're part of the ones we have not seen, you know, but we believe, right? And there's a blessing for that. So congratulate yourselves this morning. So, <laughs> no. so let's look at the backdrop of this. When I read this story, it's, it's really important to see, okay, we can just read it literally and read the text, or you can kind of put yourself in the story of where Thomas was, what was he feeling at that time? Um, I have to really understand the context of what's being talked about to really grasp what is happening here, you know? The disciples have spent three years with Jesus, a lot of time with him. They've seen him do miracles, they've spent time with him, he's, he's shared some of the most amazing prayers and, you know, teachings that we have in the Gospels while they were sitting there listening. They've been through a lot. They believed that he was going to be the one who was going to overthrow Roman rule and set up a new kingdom, right? Which he was going to do, but not the way they thought he was going to do it. So they're, they're, all their hopes are pinned on this person, following him around for three years, pouring, investing everything they had. I don't even know if they, did they have jobs? I mean, did they quit their jobs and go follow him around? We don't know the full, the full story for each of the twelve. Um, but they were very, 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 very invested in him and what he was doing, right? I mean, they were all in. Like we say today, they were all in. 
and I love that. But for them, Jesus, he was questioned, he was tried, he was killed, he was crucified, he was put into a tomb. It's like for them, the dream died suddenly and fast. Like, that must have been unbelievable. And I wonder how much of them really remembered what he had said and when he prophesied his death. But we know in reading the Gospels that they often didn't understand what he was talking about, right? But the, for them, the dream was dead. But when we read the story, we see some interesting things. We see, first of all, that Thomas wasn't there the first time Jesus appeared to his disciples, which is interesting because you don't usually hear the writer say who wasn't there. So it must have been a fairly big deal that Thomas wasn't there for them to mention it, or they were just setting it up for the latter part of the story. Either way, it's interesting. We know that Thomas was very loyal to Jesus. We see this in John eleven sixteen with the story of Lazarus, where there, he says, basically, let's go, we're going to go die with you. You know, there's a, there's a loyalty there that was forged together. We can be sure that Thomas was working through his own discouragement, right? I mean, Thomas was clearly working through something, maybe even disillusionment. Have you ever felt disillusioned by something that you believed in really strongly? And it's like, man, you know, whatever. Like, I I believed in that. Now I'm totally disillusioned. And sometimes you you need a period of time where it's like just to get away and just totally refocus, right? Like, I felt disillusioned. I've been discouraged, you know? And then we're going to read about how Jesus sees that. But how many have been through that? I want to see hands. Discouragement, disillusionment. How about despondency? Thomas was most likely despondent. Possibly a crisis of belief. He wasn't even there when Jesus appeared to his disciples. I mean, that's really interesting. He missed, like, the ultimate appearance ever. Um, So it's interesting. But, so that's part of the story. But then when I start to see, and we start to peel back some of the layers, and we read Jesus' response, we find some really interesting things we see this, that Jesus didn't lecture Thomas on his unbelief, right? He didn't say what I would have said. Okay, Thomas, I was with you for three years. I told you I was going to die. Didn't you listen? Were you paying attention? Like he wasn't even frustrated. He wasn't irritated. Jesus didn't call him doubting Thomas. We did. I think sometimes we all have a way of labeling people based on imperfections, right? And it talks about, right, one of our favorite verses is to not see people after the flesh, but to see them after the spirit. To see the potential in people and not see their obvious weakness and flaws, which we all have, other than me. Everyone else has them. Um, but we don't want to label people based on their imperfections. I often, I read this sometimes and I laugh. I'm like, if Thomas, who probably doesn't care now because he's in heaven, um, if he was like us, he'd be like, you know what? I followed Jesus for three years. I was part of all these miracles, did all this stuff, and the only thing anyone remembers me for is that one moment where I didn't believe, you know, or I was struggling or I was discouraged or who knows what he feels or believes. But when I read this, I sometimes think about that because haven't we all been in that same place at some point where it's like, I don't believe. I I am so frustrated. I'm so disappointed. I'm hurt. You know, I feel very deeply hurt. And of course, now forever, and here is the one moment, and now we've called him Doubting Thomas forever, you know. 
he doesn't care now. He's in heaven. He's in a much better place. So, but, uh, but Jesus wasn't disappointed in Thomas's unbelief, right? Instead, he called him to encounter. And when he was at his hardest and when he was in his worst, he said, "Come and see for yourself. Just come closer and encounter." He didn't say, now, Thomas, let's look back at what I said two months ago in John chapter 3. Now, of course, the Gospels weren't written then. Um, he didn't lecture them. He didn't call out his lack of faith. You know, he didn't launch into a message about faith and the importance of, you know, holding on to things in the tough times. And, you know, we don't see anything of that. He just, we know he was, he called Thomas close to himself. You know, he called him to encounter. He called him to see for himself what he was like. He's like, share in my sufferings. You know, put your finger here in my wounds. Feel it for yourself. You can see what I went through. There was no lecture. There was no judgment, which is hard for us today. It's hard for me sometimes. So I'm learning and growing in this, just like anyone else. When you see something wrong, you want to correct everything. You want to bring it back into order. You know, make it be a teachable moment. You know, Jesus' teachable moment was, Thomas, just come here. Like, probably, I just want to give you a hug. Yeah, let me love on you like a true father would do, right? Like the story of the prodigal son. The father asked no questions. When he saw his son returning from a faraway way, he went running out to him. All the servants were like, oh, man, don't you know what he did to you? He dishonored you? He wanted his inheritance early while you were still alive? Like, you don't do that in that culture like that. You know, so, but the father was like, he made a beeline for him. He's like, the father's heart was like, no, I'm going to welcome him in. You know, he went through a horrible time. I'm going to love him. I see this in Jesus. There was no lecture. There was no judgment. He called Thomas to encounter. He called to experience him. Um, The story is still the same for us today. You know, when we're faced with a crisis of faith or we're going through a difficult season, Press in closer to Jesus. Jesus is saying, come closer. Don't, don't go farther and put yourself out there farther and think you have to have all of your ducks in a row to be perfect in order to come to me. He's saying, no, come to me. Right. He's like, I get it. You're in a, you know, Jesus, we know he went through periods of disappointment. He was hurt by those closest to him. You know, he was weeping in the garden about what was going to happen, the separation between him and his father. I mean, he, he went through stuff. He gets it. He was fully God and he was fully man. And he was human. And he was fully God at the same time. I don't understand how that all works. I'm just saying that's what it says in Colossians. I think it's Colossians, right? Am I right? Yes, Colossians. Thank you. Um, Jesus' heart is to bring us close to himself. I think if there's one of the biggest things in life we can learn, it's this message. That Jesus' heart is to bring us close to himself. It's not to lecture, it's not to let people have it, it's not to tell them everything they're doing wrong. It's to love on them like a true father would do. Hug them, embrace them, bring them into encounter, you know? I remember years ago, uh, I was talking with a friend, this was many years ago, and he was saying, um, he was talking about how he really started to this point in his life enjoy a glass of wine. And he said, I would really love, I'd love to come home from work every day and I'd pour myself a glass of wine. And I'm like, that's great. Like, I love wine. I mean, we love good wine. That's a wonderful thing. There's nothing wrong with that. 
But what he shared with me was interesting. He said it wasn't the wine that became the problem. He's like, I felt the Lord say to me one day when every day from work for months I would come home and just relax with a glass of wine. He's like, you know how you can hear, you know, he didn't hear an audible voice from heaven, but God speaks to us in our thoughts, in our thought life. And he heard the voice of the Lord speak to him and he said, I want to be the place of rest for you. Not just the glass of wine, you know. You know, it wasn't the glass of wine. It was Jesus is supposed to be, God, that place of rest for us that we can come to as a father and, you know, we can, you know, sit up in the father's lap and, and be embraced and feel loved and secure. Yes. God wants to be the place of rest for us, not just the glass of wine. I said not just the glass of wine, okay? Because <laughs> I still like that too. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know, we read this so many times, and I think we gloss over the last part, that I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. Like God is not up there like I told you, you know, Thomas, you should have been paying attention when I talk. Next time, I want you to stand firm on faith and don't doubt you know, we didn't hear anything like that. He is gentle and he's humble in heart. Yes. You know, and if there's anyone who didn't need to be humble, it's probably him because he knows everything. Yet he's humble in heart and he's gentle. And with him we find rest for our souls. I love this, you know, because it's like we, in our world, it, it's like if there's one thing there's an absence of, it seems to be rest. It's just busyness, it's schedules, it's summer schedules, it's teaching, it's, you know, uh, planning for your, all your camps and stuff for kids. For the summer. It, it's, it's all good stuff, but in our age, it's like rest is a very difficult thing for people to enter. You know, there's comparison, there's all types of things that want to keep us away from rest. There's the feeling of wanting to be successful that can keep us from being restful, right? Um, but Jesus is saying, come to me, I, you're going to find rest for your souls with me. Amen. You know, we find rest for our souls when we are able to sit down on a nice summer day under an umbrella and pull out this and read it and let the Holy Spirit speak to it through us. You know, it's like I, I, have, I have talked with pastors and people who minister and they, I've had heard very honest feedback from them that said, there's been years since I was able to sit down and read the Bible just because I wanted to hear the Lord speak to me. I'm always preparing for a message, or I'm preparing for a series, or I'm preparing for this. And many of us don't even take this at all and sit down and read, read through it. You know, We just come and we continually do things and we serve and we're involved, which is great, but I would just challenge us to carve out time and open this up this summer and sit under an umbrella outside enjoy a glass of wine or whatever it is your favorite. For me, it's club soda with lemon and lime. Um, I love that. And sit there and read it or just listen to the Lord. Put on some worship music and that's your place of rest. You know, that's our place of rest. Um, when you're driving to work and that, you know, even a secular song comes on and it ministers to your heart because the words are so powerful, that's God speaking to you. He's, he's encountering with you in that, fresh, in that moment. You know, it's like take that time and enjoy that moment, you know. That's right. um, whatever it is in the way that 
we find rest, spending time in his presence. You know, I read that scripture before in the beginning, um, that uh, in, in your presence, there's fullness of joy, right? In your presence, there's fullness of joy. It's one of the reasons we gather and we worship, because in his presence, together, there's fullness of joy. You know, there's joy here. It's supposed to be joyful. Uh, joy is one-third of the kingdom of God. Righteousness, peace, and joy. It says the kingdom consists of these things. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Paul said that. I can't take credit for that one. <laughs> right. So, all that to say, I lost my place here because I got out of my notes, but that's okay. It usually ends up good. So he called him to encounter. He called Thomas close to himself. Uh, we talked about that. Okay, so here's the thing. All of that to say, God wants us to press in for fresh encounters with himself. And that doesn't need to pick back up in September when we're back in more of a church mode. Summer is a little different. It's a little more free, right? I mean, we're on vacations, you know, but I, summer is an awesome time to go deeper in your walk with the Lord. You got time. You can sit there and rest you can read, you can learn, you can sit there and quiet and just meditate on the Lord and his word. Um, I know many years ago I would feel somehow that if I had sinned that morning or the day before, then I somehow needed to do some sort of penance before I could come into church. Many years ago, and I had been you know, saved in the church for a long time, and I had this mindset, but it's like, and that sometimes keeps us from doing things, keeps us from progressing in things of God. That, there's nothing farther from the truth than that. That you have to clean up yourself in order to become, come before God. He didn't die and go through all that he went through so that you could try to make yourself perfect. He is our perfection, right? So we get to come to him as we are. And you can come right before him like this morning. You come right in, come right in ready to worship. doesn't matter what you did yesterday, you know, or what you did this morning or how you messed up or failed or whatever, you know, just come in and get in his presence and worship. Uh, don't let anything hold you back and don't think that God is keeping you at a distance because you haven't done something right. Here's the thing. Thomas was so in love with Jesus and I think he was so reinvigorated by that encounter that in the next chapter he's mentioned and he's ranked number two right behind Peter. And, you know, that's interesting because the writers, you know, would do that, you know, talk about importance sometimes. And it, he mentions Peter and then Thomas. Thomas is right back at it. He's right back in the fray. You know, he missed one thing. He missed the first appearing. I bet he was like, I'm not missing anything else going forward. You know, and he felt so loved and embraced by God that in one chapter later, we see him back, right back at it. You know, he wasn't sidelined. He wasn't put out to pastor for a year and so he could work on his faith and then when he was strong enough he could come back in and rejoin. He's right back at it, you know. It's so good. He wasn't disqualified because of his weakness. You know, you're not disqualified because you have a weakness. You know, we're not disqualified because we have a weakness. It's in our weakness he's made strong and, you know, so it's, it's good to acknowledge that we all have weaknesses. Um, the end of Thomas is interesting because we know from historians how it ended for Thomas. Really, all of the disciples were martyred except for John. Thomas, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, he was martyred in India where he was run through with a spear for preaching the gospel. 
Um, all the disciples, after the ascension, you know, they were sent out, right? The commission was to go and advance and spread the gospel. So they all went to different parts of the world. Thomas ended up east, way east, as far as India, where to this day there's still groups of people that trace their form of Christianity back to Thomas, which is incredible, 2,000 years later. Um, but the thing that I always think about is that the love of God was so strong, it was so real in him, that it compelled him to go dive to see the gospel spread. I mean, you wouldn't do something like that. You know, either you're a lunatic or you are totally in love with Jesus and you were so impacted by this man uh, and you were so embraced and so loved that you have got to spread the gospel. And that's what we see with Thomas. And we see even, you know, a, a, he was martyred. But it was a love that was so real and uh, it's, it's so amazing to see how God embraced him. So today, I, I just, I felt, you know, even as, a, as we're in the summer, Things change pace, but our growth in him doesn't stop. You know, it actually let it go That's deeper. Right. Put your roots down deeper this summer. Um, really, put those roots down deeper. One of the things that was interesting was when we were over in France, uh, you know, we're not like wine connoisseurs or anything, uh, but we, we were, um, we, we, there's, I mean, if you're in France, it's like wine country, okay? It's like the, the mecca of red wine, you know? So we talked to a lot of people who had been doing these wine tours and everything, and these people were just like so knowledgeable about it. I mean, it was almost embarrassing for us because, you know, we know the grape name, they know the regions, you know? It's like, you know, we know very, very little. Um, but it was interesting. They said in France, they don't irrigate their vineyards, which is different than in the U.S., which I thought was interesting, because they said that we want the grape to go through stress because it goes down deeper to get the water. Uh, where in the U.S., you know, we do it differently. We do more irrigation, irrigation. In France, they will do it only if absolutely necessary because there's something about when the, the, the grape is stressed or it goes through stress that it goes deeper and it finds the water and the taste is influenced by that. Right? So, so it was very interesting. So we just both thought, oh my gosh, wow, I'm going to preach on this someday. You know, as, as I thought about it, this is amazing. You know? But if you're in a dry time, if you're in a difficult time, let those roots go down deep you know, because the, the effect of that afterwards is going to be a richer fragrance in your life. So you know, he's not focusing on our shortcomings or our lack of faith. He's calling us deeper in relationship with him. He's calling you to encounter him afresh now. doesn't matter if you've been saved, you've been Christian for 30, 40 years, or if you have been here for three weeks. We all have the same level of access to the Father. We are all called to grow, to put our roots down deep into the soil, yes. to grow up strong in the word of God, to spend time in his presence, to worship him, be changed in the middle of it. So let's stand. I just want to pray over us as you know, we kind of go out on this note. And just, you know, hold out your hands. Just, I do this sometimes just in a posture of receiving from the Lord. It's just something about opening yourself up. And we open our hearts up to the Lord so that he can work in us, you know. Um, I used to pray and I'd sit there and pray like this. And it was like, you know what, that's not really a posture of receiving, you know. It's like, you're right, Lord, I'm just going to open up my hands and just in a posture of faith and receiving. Lord, I bless everybody here today. Lord, our hearts, I know that the hearts of people here is to go deeper and to know you more, to bless other people, to serve, to see the, the world of, uh, in this place influenced by you, Jesus. 
Lord, today even we commit to a, a deeper understanding of the love of God that you have for us. That you're a good father. That you're not mad at us, you're not disappointed with us, you're not angry with us, you're not trying to teach us lessons all the time. You discipline us, but you discipline through love. And uh, Lord, I pray a blessing on everybody. Lord, that you'd make our lives fruitful, even more fruitful, and an abundance of fruit, Lord. Um, I pray for an awesome summer, Lord, that we'd go deeper, that we'd spend time like we haven't done it before, that you'd lift any incorrect, preconceived ideas that we have, Father, of how you look at us that are not healthy, that need to be stripped away, that there'd be nothing between us, between us and a loving Father. I pray a blessing on everybody for an amazing summer enjoying relationships and healthy relationships and enjoying life going deeper in jesus name amen thanks so much for listening to this week's message if you'd like to check out our additional resources please feel free to go to newhopecom.org